0: How did this introduction introduction thing go again?
1: The introduction, I can't remember the introduction. We should we should apologise because it's been ages. I oh, um, never apologise. Really, never apologise. Never explain. Someone else wrote that once. Yeah.
0: Um, well, you know, unless they start paying us, you know. Oh God! <laughs> yeah,
1: we could carry advertising. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, um, yeah, I don't
1: think so. No, okay, uh, no, that's true. Yeah, but uh, both our listeners aren't really going to buy anything. But better. anyway, I'm <clears> um, Balder Anderson, and I'm Tom Abbott. And um, this is basically not the future of the book. It's not the future of the book. It's definitely not the future of the book. Um, And no, honestly, an apology because I'm just looking at iTunes and the last one we released with these was on the 4th of December last year. And this is the 22nd of March. So it's been a little while, um, but there are good reasons for that. And actually what we thought we'd do anyway was take a break over Christmas, which kind of extended into the new year, and just think about where this goes longer term, um, Mm. which is a conversation we're going to have between... This one, number nine, and number 10, which we'll record after lunch. But safe to say, I think we both know that the first set of these was really about discussing the book that we'd written. Mm. And that, and topics related to and that. And topics related to that, absolutely. And that moving forward, I think what we, what we need to do is not to change that, but to kind of realign it slightly so that we don't end up just talking about something that we've written already. Um, but to make the topics and the topicality seem to move forward a little bit. Yes. You're, you're looking at a microphone and, and, and twiddling knobs. Yes, and well, that's you, you
0: know, it's one of those things I do.
1: Yes. In a non-rude so. way. Yeah, let's not. Go there. <laughs> um, okay, so um, we have an hour, um, and because it's been a while, we thought we'd throw in something philosophical and complicated and um, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You want to start?
0: Oh, I uh, sort of. you are talking about the 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 dynamic that I'm, um or, or it's.
1: A you, thing I've been thinking about for a while. You described it yesterday as moonshots versus infrastructure. Yeah, it's. It, this is funny thing.
0: Whenever, whenever somebody gets really angry at something I've said, it's generally not. Um, it's generally not somebody from publishing. Mm-hmm. and it's generally not something uh, not even people from traditional publishing but people from t- traditional publishing who disagree with what i say they tend to be disdainful. and yeah. just go like you know you're not worth my time which is probably a rational thing to do because frankly i'm not talking about something that interests them and they are not doing anything that interests me we'll just exist in two t- separate fields it'd be yeah. mm-hmm. it'd be like expecting um expecting somebody from Anthropology to have an opinion on, I don't know, what's the completely un- unrelated thing to anthrop- anthropology?
1: Okay, and well, no, well, an science. Anthrop- an anthropologist would tell <laughs> you that anthrop- the, 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 the study of anthropology extends into pretty much every sphere of human existence. So, yeah, so
0: basically, anthropologists are an assholes.
1: I, I didn't say that. You said that. Um, mm. But anyway, no. So I, I get. we're basically, get two separate all. fields, yeah. like mm-hmm. you know. Something and something else. Something and something else. So, um, something. and
0: it's um, uh, but the people who tend to get really, really angry, the who respond, are the people who are digital media people mm-hmm. who have been involved with the, uh, the variety of digital media projects that that publishing has actually done right hmm. over the past twenty five years. And if you look at hist- uh, at the history of digital media, there are there are actually a series of these, and these these are people with like proper digital media qualifications the you know experience their positions um positions to to know exactly what they're talking about and and you know the 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 revel with big names from uh, interactive media history okay um but they do not see how problematic the digital uh, the uh, uh, the entirety of publishing's approach to digital media has been because they have a Perspective, a framework of how to understand things, that ma- matches publishing more than it does a large part of digital media. In okay. that they mm-hmm. are, and this is a problem not not exclusive to the digital media parts that are related to publishing. They are, they're a large part of a pro- of a of the problem with just technologists in general, mm-hmm. which is that they believe in the in the idea that moonshots are the way that progress happens, right. that you build this one massive, incredibly innovative um, project and you get off the ground and it succeeds and then everything like sprinkles down, like, trick- like trickle down economics, innovation spreads out from, uh, uh, all over from it, people stand in awe and copy it because they they see the wonder that is the new thing. And the idea is that just by doing this big, great, massive project that's so cool, that will change everything. And they do it again and again and again and again and nothing changes. Sure. Mm. And publishing is really good at these projects because a moonshot project matches the publishing mindset perfectly because publishing is about a linear production method for creating a one-shot project or an object. Yeah. So the idea of a moonshot project, a, 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 a sort of digital media project, a, 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 a linear production method that results in a single accomplished goal matches the, 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 way, the, the, the way they think of a production perfect. Production so they, they, you can more easily get funding from publishing on these sort of moonshot projects on regular and, and people have been doing it. Since the uh, uh, late 80s and 90s, since HyperCard. Mm-hmm. And Punching has, on a regular basis, done really, sometimes, off-the-wall crazy projects. Um, but they don't make any sense if you actually want things
1: to work so, or want to change things. So from our perspective, that if we look back at the last 15, 20 years, and suggesting back into the mid-80s, late 80s, early mm. 90s, and what we see is a, a collection of... Big explosion, big explosion, big explosion, big explosion, but actually no sense of real learning from that. No actually more no sense of impact into an industry from yeah. that. So think, things things happen. Think a huge amount of effort is thrown into a thing that and I'm just gonna throw one thing into and just we, because we're mixing metaphors here, in terms of the the moonshot analogy, because to me <clears throat> the way I understand kind of the moonshot analogy, not Notwithstanding, you know, the actual phrase "a moonshot, is that the amount of effort you place into putting a man on the moon, for example, actually cascades out into scientific and technological advancement across the whole system, across an entire kind of science community and cultural community and economic community. Yeah, because of the way it works, and actually, publishing is set up differently. And is that
0: that actually in terms of uh, the actual Apollo project?
1: were actually
0: it was actually under massive criticism at the time. Yeah, because it is it is more closer to almost engineering and craft space because every single one of those rockets was... Almost handcrafted. Yep. And you could see the evolution because these were not mass manufactured. Mm. And you, if you go to the um, uh, the various museums that collect these rockets, you can mm. see a historical evolution where the, the, the workers that made these rockets, they're basically doing it by hand. So they, uh, they evolved. Yeah. And th- that meant that there was no infrastructure being built for how to mass produce heavy lifting rockets. There was no infrastructure built for doing this repeatedly. This was purely... Brute force effort at throwing somebody at the moon. Absolutely, and it, and it's, it, uh, the project actually came under a lot of criticism at the time. You know, and th- this is not going to happen often. But I basically agree with the Nazi, uh, Wernher <laughs> von Braun, um, who uh, you know was one of the uh, you know uh, lead developers on on you know the mm-hmm. Mars um, rocket project. He uh, he uh, massively criticised the Apollo project for being. For uh, for its short term goals, it, uh, yeah. for, mm. for the fact that it skewed es- es- que- es- que- long term infrastructure building I guess what in I'm,
1: favour of a single goal. I completely understand that. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to pitch in and just to throw something, throw something into the mix in terms of the way publishing might respond to this and see this is that because a moonshot because of the Apollo project in terms of the way it's funded and the way it's managed and it's a and then there's a reason for me to go go into this direction. Is that it is essential and it's not completely public funding, but it's it's managed on a governmental level mm. and it's managed at that point. Is actually the the technological benefit the cascade out from that actually does have an impact into wider society.
0: It has about the same impact as trick down economics. Ah, uh, so it's
1: okay. sort of it's like you know it,
0: it's it's the proportion is tiny compared to the spending, compared on, the to the spending on the project itself. If you yeah. actually want to have a long-term impact on uh, on how things are done and, and how, uh, how things get spread, how effective things are, yeah. you need to build the infrastructure. That means massive open source projects, that means infrastructure projects, that means um, you know, in, t- in terms of, um, you-, uh, you need to build, it- it's like with the, in the States, you can't build, r- build roads on trickle-down no, trickle economics. No. Mm-hmm. You need to actually go there and build roads with public money. Sure, um, absolutely. And the, it's sort of the same here in that the digital, the, the problem with that, um, did, uh, the problem with digital media is that the all of the progress we've seen over the past 25 years is down to... Open source infrastructure building, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and to a slightly lesser de- uh, uh, and to a slightly lesser degree, the um, standard open standards and specifications. But they, but they tend to actually come afterwards. Yeah. As in the the um, areas that have the most healthy standards activity, tend to be the ones that have a large, uh, 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 well, more than one large open source player. Uh, uh-huh. uh, 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 and, th- and without that infrastructure, everything, uh, all of these. We wouldn't have any of the progress last. I mean, the, no. the, we, uh, if if we if we hadn't had if uh, if the web hadn't been an open uh, open technology, if the yeah. if mm-hmm. the origins of the web hadn't been built up in an open way, using, uh, using, uh, and if it hadn't ended up um, built large and open source like it did, in the, uh, uh basically which is the way things turned at, uh, at around two thousand, we basically uh, uh, basically just uh, uh, just have. If we hadn't, if somebody hadn't switched to, let me rephrase that. The, one of the things about the nineties is that some, a bunch of people in Silicon Valley had the idea to hijack venture capital to build a network infrastructure for open uh, for for the web and for the internet. Okay. Mm. And if they hadn't done that, if they hadn't, if the if the whole dot com bubble, because uh, most of the money of the dot com bubble went into buying. Infrastructure hardware. Mm. It went into Cisco. It went into Sun. It went, oh, 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 they, they bought servers. They bought yep. DNS servers. The actual long-term yeah. yeah. benefit was, and, and opinion, it sort of, oh, 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 and it, they had a surplus capacity for years afterwards. And if they hadn't done that, if they hadn't switched that, if that, if that bubble hadn't switched the focus to infrastructure, we would be still stuck in the endless cycle of crappy CD-ROMs. Mm being launched one after another, none of them with any long-term impact and or long-term benefit any practitioner anywhere or
1: any publisher. Yeah, so so, so, so the leaps, we should abandon my moonshot, although I think I'm going to come back to it later on. So the leaps are infrastructural, the leaps are in terms of the behind the scenes of what it supports and what it enables, rather than the big high-profile stuff that gets an awful lot of attention and news but actually doesn't, Change anything doesn't really. Yeah, I
0: forward. mean that, uh, that's basically my philosophy. But I realize I realize okay. this is a worldview. I mean, this is this is if you come back down to the Thomas R. Kuhn um, um, structure of scientific revolutions thing. Yeah. This is a paradigm, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's only history will tell whether this paradigm or the paradigm of the you know, big project paradigm, yeah. if, uh, actually, you know,
1: actually wins out in the long term, yeah. yeah. And uh, sort
0: of, I obviously think that the <laughs> the infrastructure paradigm is, is going to win out because, uh, based on observation outside of digital media, um, infrastructure tends to be really, really important, no,
1: completely. And, and what?
0: Uh, but it, it it comes back down to the whole thing that I talked about earlier in that, in the in the uh, with the world view is that um people who are in digital media but have a different world view from me and other people who favor infrastructure mm-hmm. they tend to respond more angrily than people who co- are completely outside of this paradigm clash yeah mm-hmm. so because because uh, we're in because we're in the same field and our paradigms are basically you know functionally opposite yeah mm-hmm. um, there's going to be more tension there than with people who stand completely outside of that and have a paradigm that basically is like Often a different, often a different country, out on a canoe or a barge in a different yeah. river, mm. and not interacting with, uh, uh, with our, field, uh, our field at all. Sure. So, yeah, it's it's just weird in that uh, you know, the stuff where where, where how, uh, that has been the mo- uh, when I, where I've written something online that has been most provocative mm. has been towards people who are basically. Under most normal circumstances would agree with most of what I have to say, but because it comes from a different world view in, in these specific instances, they tend to react very, very negatively and very angrily. Okay, this Even this
1: resulting in personal insults. Which is not pleasant. Oh, no. It's what the internet's very good for. Well, yeah. not so very good for, very known for, but um, <laughs> okay, right, so that that's that... I guess where I was trying to go to is is the problem in terms of the way publishing sees this and as you say, and I can I can think of two or three examples, one very current one, one seven or eight years old and going back further, of big moonshot like projects that actually don't have any trickle down, don't have any kind of impact Arcadia. anywhere. Arcadia. I was thinking... the well, actually Arcadia didn't wasn't kind of in my head, although Arcadia kinda of falls out of another set of thinking. My thinking was actually something we touched on before in terms of touch press and oh, yeah. the wasteland. <laughs> and, no, 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 but yeah. not because I, I think we, we're we in danger of bashing TouchPress quite a lot. Um, but,
0: as so an they example... Have really, they have really good designers, interaction designers. They, they, they have designers.
1: incredibly good interaction designers. And they, could, but they But this, the way that that particular API, that particular set of thinking around a set of interactions, a set of interactions around where the book might evolve to, might evolve through, rather... Um, kind of gets locked into one company and one kind of, one organisation. And yeah. then, as we've said in episode seven or episode six or whatever it might have been this, that gets fallen by the wayside because the pressure is then on making money from it. And when it doesn't make money and when it doesn't make a kind of long-term investment, else I should not talk quite as fast, then the whole thing is shelved effectively and people start to rethink again. And the other one at the moment, and I'm being very careful not to damn this by any f- phrase, any way m- or means, is editions at play. Yeah. No, no, no. But um, because I, I think visual editions are amazing, and I adore what they do in mm. print. And my my concern, not my concern, is that you've got a boutique publisher who are, from what I can see, incredibly good project managers and really good visionaries and really kind of creative in what they do and how they approach the book. Working with Google but, and the expression on your face, which you can't see because you've got the perfect facial yeah. radio, kind of gives that out. Um, my. My worry is there's this huge kind of like um, flurries whirlpool of investment and and I asked them a question yesterday on Twitter, and I got a really polite reply So, and the question I want to know want the answer to was have any of the, has any of their stuff been reviewed as a literary product yeah been addressed as a piece of text as something that we can look at as equivalent to a book. I know it's not yeah. a book. It doesn't... Be, and, and they've been very clear, clear about that. It's
0: just re- reviewed as a piece of storytelling. As a piece of storytelling.
1: And and they came back with the Irish Times have reviewed the first two books they put out. And the, the, they've just got the the, the Joe Dunthorne one out and Reef Larson's book. And that was... a great that was a response it was a review but um, an awful lot of the press and the massive amount of kind of halo around it in terms of it's google it's books it's working into this space and there's a huge amount of attention was around the novelty of it and Mm. very i couldn't find an awful lot and this is maybe a different conversation about um the press and the way or the extent to which press and journalists within publishing or within that kind of field are actually capable of looking at this properly and looking at it in an interesting way. And it's something that we I've talked about with Alex Butterworth separately with regard to Arcadia and when Arcadia actually gets a review that reviews Arcadia. Yeah. Rather than reviews the novelty in the app. Is that I'm not sure anybody actually understands what they're doing, understands what they're doing enough to really assess it and to really understand it at that level. Because yeah. Coming back to the, the moonshot infrastructure model, one of the things I read a couple of times yesterday when I was kind of browsing around trying to find reviews for editions of plays work was a sense to which people wanting suddenly Google to release the API. To say, okay, wouldn't it this is these tools are limited, these tools we can't see and see how they work at the moment, but it's gonna be great. It's, you know, the the promised land will arrive, mana will fall from heaven, everything yeah. will be brilliant, we'll all eat quail. At the point where Google lets and I thought that's kind of that's back to the mentality you have just described—that there will be one, there will be one, this thing will happen, and it will change the world. It will change everything. And actually, that I know that isn't the case. And I think you know that isn't the case. And I, yeah. I think most people in publishing, deep down, know that isn't really what's going to happen. And it, it just—it worried me in that there will be a huge amount of attention on what editions of play are doing, mm. and that they will make some really cool work and really interesting work because they know what they're doing, and they will be. There will be hits and misses, and there'll be interesting stuff in there, but actually, it won't have a massive impact in the rest of the field.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the the, the, the two basic observations that, um, for my part, would sort of are the reason why I'm not that keen about editions at play as a in terms of importance for the field. Uh, mm. You know, whether you know being interested, keen about, curious about them as a as a reader, is a different thing, but as a Sort of uh, about their impact on the field. There are two two reasons. Is that I can't go to Google and uh, uh, Google Play and upload my own web based book yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. like them. And sell it without having some sort of special, massive, ongoing, de- ongoing deal yeah. negotiations mm. and a one-off major contract with with Google. Yeah. So there's no retail infrastructure for this, which no. is. We're, we're, but they clearly have implemented some sort of retail infrastructure, but they are just out opening up so they're just keeping it closed and yeah. not, not spreading it. Maybe it's like, because that that bit of retail infrastructure is just a one-off, mm. um, and it's you know they c- couldn't extend it even if they wanted to. In which case, it it would be the epitome of the moonshot ideology of doing taking massive short shortcuts short to uh, to achieve your goal. The other issue is like what you're talking about in terms of the API for, um, as in the fallout for the tools to make yeah. these. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that reminds me of um, uh, the, uh, the app which um, is probably sort of. I'd probably categorize that as an exception to the way that publishing usually does things. Mm. Um, but if I recall correctly, the uh, 80 Days Around the World app. Mm the company that does that they have a, an open source framework yeah. for for making apps and making interactive stories this is inkle yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and that is that is actually a very good example of what we can talk about in terms of thinking about this in terms of infrastructure as in mm. you do a series of projects each one uh, each one growing uh, growing more and more ambitious and you use those projects to build out a long standing open infrastructure that other other people can use yeah. and that way further the field so i'd actually say that Inkle is probably more important to the field of digital media mm. than Google Editions at Play. Yeah. Um, unless they actually, you know, open things up and do actually, re- uh, you know, a re- a really, really release some of the tools involved. I think we know what the answer to that's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's a, that, uh, an interesting, the interesting thing there, is, which comes back down to the point I made earlier in that, the moonshot versus infrastructure dichotomy is a schism within digital media, not not really within publishing. Publishing just tends to uh, they they tend to uh, tend to harmonise with one uh, with the moonshot paradigm more often than than the other other one, but they're they're not beholden to either one because they stand outside of this uh, yeah. this dichotomy. Because if you look at um, eighty days around the world versus Google editions at play, uh, eighty days around the world was. You know, released by a traditional publisher yep. if I remember correctly. Uh while Google Editions player are basically released by Google.
1: They are. I'm gonna check that because I'm not sure whether Eighty Days uh, um was released by Inkle or released by oh, remember that Bashkar else. was involved
0: mm-hmm. on the publishing the publishing side the publisher side of it at some uh, somehow, if if my memory serves me right, which uh, might not Um
1: Mike Bashkar rel- uh, profile released Frankenstein, first of oh, all. Oh yes. Um I'm
0: getting them mixed But up.
1: looking at this, and suddenly I'm realizing that I wasn't suddenly aware that I, I think Inkle released it themselves, and I'm sure John Ingle. If John Ingle su- subscribes to this, if not, Joe Humphrey might do. We'll clarify that. But it looks mm. like Inkle released that on their own, um, off their own back, and with their own kind of yeah. sense of.
0: But that sort of uh, that's even better because that yeah. means uh, because um, they they've done I know that they've done projects with publishers. Yeah, and this is one of the things. This is the reason why you want to actually use projects to build up open an open tool set and, and an ongoing infrastructure because that feeds into your future work. So, and in many in many ways, that usually means that you're less dependent. Yeah. On um, you know you become less and less dependent on like massive financial support uh, support from outside entities in the long term.
1: Sure. You, you you build your own longer term infrastructure. You build your own set of. As we said, your own set of kind of um, developers, experimenters outside of the core company by, by releasing mm. the things as open source. And yes, you're right. Inc and Incal Writer are available and available to download and playing with and developing that. And actually, it's something that um, in a different field, we've in Bristol, we've seen Calvium do with App Furnace and release yeah. that, which is you know a different conversation about how that yeah. might kind of link into publishing but that model of saying look here's the thing you can play with it you can develop within it you need a certain set of skills and you need a certain kind of set of competencies and at some point we might charge you for coming back to us for that but basically the playground is yours the sound is yours to play in come back to us when you want to publish it properly because we have the expertise to tidy everything up make it look beautiful and, and make sure it goes to the app store but that model seems to work as far as I can tell, worked very well for Calvium and presumably mm. is not, not working for Inkle in the same vein. And on the other... I mean, actually, this is where Inkle and publishing kind of might... I don't know, there's a different thing here. Um, but Fail Better a, announced um, a... Essentially, a kind of incubation support programme about a month ago, which I'm just going to really have to Google looking at your face. <laughs> um, that was, that, as I understand it, is designed to, designed to sort of get... Ideas or, or develop ideas from from their fans, from people interested in what they're doing interested in kind of that, that crossover between games and literature and to support them in early stages, yeah, and there so are other things that kind of feed through and build through, which does seem to be more a, a kind of a model that you 're describing as infrastructure rather than what you're describing as let 's do the moonshot thing and push that out mm.
0: yeah I mean it, it, it sort of it bears to mention that um, obviously you can do these things as hybrid uh, hybrid things, and it, it, it even even bears out in in real life. Um, yeah. Like for example, um, because I'm Icelandic, I'm going to use an Icelandic example. The, there's a um, there's a tunnel under um, uh, the um fjord <laughs> yeah, mm. uh, and it's um, it, it's one of those fjords that um, added an hours, hours, uh, hour to the drive to a, a, a town that was actually very, otherwise, very close to Reykjavik. Yeah, but there was a like a, a major, massive push to finance and make a proper, large tunnel that had to cut da- cut down on that uh, that hour. And yeah, and you know that that was a sort of moonshot type effort, but because it was. Geared towards building a long-standing piece of infrastructure that had the same. So, there, you can do you can do uh, do uh, do uh, do both at the same time, but generally, only that only uh, uh, that only works when infrastructure is the absolute goal and not the side effect of what yep. you're doing. Yep. Um. And it's sort of, I mean, it, it sort of it comes back down to, for example. Um, Redium, uh, the prob- all, my problem with Redium is that they are there's there's such a it seems so mixed hmm. and undirected that they're basically doing a building an infrastructure that is a uh, mar- basically a market one for one market replacement to Adobe's proprietary render uh, rendering toolkit. Right, And it's like an open source, massive open source uh, push from all sorts of people in the industry to build this piece of infrastructure. But then they basically mimic um, all of the limitations as well. It's They have a licensing scheme. You can't really u- use, it, but use it without licensing it for terms that are not that far off from Adobe's terms. So right. it's mm. basically literally one for one re- replacement, except for now we have instead of having a a single piece of open source rendering engine that replaces all of the other ones we now have an addition that is semi-proprietary that is just Yet another rendering engine that everybody has to test and also the fun uh, really fun part is because it's open source means that everybody uses it has the freedom to customize it to their heart's extent which means that <laughs> instead of just one additional rendering engine there's, yep. there's mm. a potential for a dozen or you know half a dozen or a dozen uh, a dozen new ones each with mm. their own idiosyncrasies and differences it's just it's just th- God, I'm no uh, sort of no, uh, no longer going to be involved in ebook production,
1: which is a different conversation for a different time. Yeah. yeah, just to clarify that. So the thing I mentioned before is Fund Better, and that's Fail Better's fund for independent narrative games and interactive fiction. Um, cool. which is On their website, which um, without making this an advert for uh, Fail Better, it's a rolling fund for projects in the two to twenty thousand pound range, or the larger amounts of major available for projects with matched or Kickstarter funding. It's project based investment, which seems to me. Fail Better kind of, you know, while you and I have been kind of really seriously developing stuff and talking about stuff and I've been working with circumstances. Fail Better kind of been there and working and doing fall in London and working with publishers and doing some really cool, interesting stuff that doesn't really fall within what I'm directly interested in, but I'm very, very aware of mm. Alexis's work and, and what the company is doing. And it seems that if they, if they hit a point where they can start to invest in this and start to pay it forward start to kind of bring ideas in and support other things around that space that seems incredibly cool and it seems to be an alternative to a publishing model that exists on we do this we do this well we're we're pushing toward the one big final thing but we have very little ability to be nimble around that and to work yeah. with startups and with small organizations um i guess the question i want to ask that just because we're about halfway through is if if we're agreed and if we're and if anybody listens to this, is agreed or not agreed that, that the moonshot kind of model doesn't have an awful lot of trickle down, an awful lot of kind of impact further down. Mm. And there are problems with that. And there are ways to look at that. Actually, if infrastructure change is what a publisher should be aiming for or trying to shift it, what should they be doing? What? How, how does that, because not, not, not this is a toolkit, but how do you go about looking for that?
0: Yeah, well... That's actually a really complicated question. Well, of course it is. <laughs> uh, but we've got half an hour, so we can answer it. No, I mean, <laughs> the the problem lies in the fact that a um, publisher is it's one thing in with physical media. Yeah. It, it's a very clearly defined thing in in physical media. Mm-hmm. But it has the our publisher has the potential to be many different things in digital media, and none of them have actually made up their mind as to what. They're going to be in digital media they want sure. to they want to be exactly like they are in print, but with digital media, yeah. but digital media works differently yeah. it has different business models, it has different uh, production models it it has different infrastructure it has a different audience it has I mean, a different audience yeah, and um i i'm not sure that they uh, that, uh, that, yeah I think the first thing they need to do is uh, is try to ask the question is uh, a publisher needs to s- decide whether in digital, uh, digital they are going to be focused on the author or on the audience. Right. I don't think you can do the, an integrated whole in digital media where you take care of everything. You take the raw manuscript from the author mm-hmm. um, and you funnel it into a production process and make a you know, nice single pro- uh, a product and you give it to somebody else. Hmm. Who then takes care of getting it to the audience? A retailer. So basically, the publishing model, as it is, is basically an inter- integrated pr- uh, product development machine, of uh, that does not uh, does not actually include the author and does not actually include the audience. Hmm. The problem uh, with digital media is that product development is is massively iterative. And it tends to be based on either locking uh, a, a, a close relationship with the, or with the audience. As in, you, you aggregate the audience and the audience is there even without the, uh, without the creators and the, and the, and the media. Yeah. Or through a cr- close relationship with the producers of the media. And, uh, and uh, uh, you work the, in, a, uh, in a partnership with them to create... A variety of media that you then try to figure out that's to spread to as many uh, venues as possible. So you either need to be in a close partnership to the authors and making sure that, or, or the writers or the creators, mm-hmm. making sure that they're, they're well enough paid to be able to do, the, do their job yeah. and then spread the media into, into, into as many directions and be agnostic about what the audience is, or you need to be hyper concentrated on an audience and build an audience. And for, be,
1: for a particular kind of different product mm. yeah, yeah,
0: and you're kind of agnostic about where that product comes. You can either you know get it from a different publisher, you can get it from mm. a self publisher or so on so you need to be either an audience aggregator or somebody who works with an author to sort of convert their creativity and social capital into a marketable product sure and i don 't think you can do both in a single organization easily. Um, without massive tension, because the the needs of an of an organ of a digital organisation that aggregates an audience, mm. their needs tend to mirror uh, Facebook's or Twitter's. Yeah. Facebook and Twitter are essentially audience aggregators. They're focusing on collecting a bunch of people and giving them features the, uh, that are, are, are focused on the audience. And then the media is something that comes after the fact. They're not that. the media is is there uh, they see that as a feature for the audience that they've already collected so they're agnostic about actually who provides it Mm. they just want it there um, well, on the uh, so so, uh, well, Buzzfeed on the other hand, they they tend to they tend to work incredibly closely with the writers. They they're one of the few media professors today, for example, that have ongoing political correspondence. Yeah, that are uh, sending all over the place, but they're also working closely with uh, with creators who are you know working literally in the advertising departments of uh, of the various companies and doing pay, you know paid native uh, marketing. But they they're working on the other model of basically producing content and then just not really caring where, where it goes. They want it to go everywhere because yep. everywhere maximizes your chances of profiting. And publisher today, um, I'm talking about traditional book mm. publishers, their problem in that all of the digital media strategies hinge on, on moving wholesale onto the digital with an integrated product where they don't actually work with, you know, that uh, the, the product that they're making is is incredibly standardised, mm. and they don't actually, they don't actually pay the author. They don't actually really care about authors because they uh, just. They are, no, publishers don't like to say this, but they view authors as completely fungible, unless they're best uh, massive bestsellers. Yeah, authors are replaceable, fungible, and disposable. Okay, because otherwise they wouldn't be paid as badly as they are. No, 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 I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, that's a a valid perspective. If if they valued them as a part of of, of the... If they were important to the value proposition of the organisation, they would be paid better. There's just no... You cannot come up with a counter-argument saying that all the authors are valued. (laughs) But... Uh, you know, the values in ways that aren't monetary. This is we're we're in a capitalist society. We are, and David, uh, yeah. we, we, non-monetary uh, uh, value might have worked if you uh, if you're working in a you know religious monarchy in uh, 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 back in the back in the dark, uh, dark ages where the goodwill of the church would have, would have been enough. But it isn't enough today. No. You actually need to be able to pay rent, eat food, and uh, and survive from day to day.
1: Especially if, in the case of publishing, that you're providing the raw material that the organisation turns yeah. into the thing it's, it makes it. It's, foundation labor, yeah. for it's foundation labor for the yeah. entire uh, uh, organisation's exist- existence.
0: Yeah. And it, sort of before a publisher can decide mm. of what tactic they they want to use in terms of, 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 of social media, whether they're going to do these you know moonshot type goals or or, or or sort of or, or how best to create uh, to do projects that result in an ongoing infrastructure that will reduce their long-term costs yeah. mm. before they can start thinking about those approaches they need to decide what are they going to do in digital media are they mm. going to focus on the audience yeah or are they going to focus on, on the them. creators yeah and it's sort of my soon-to-be former employer um for example unbound to use an example uh, uh, yeah. uh, as a um, if you uh, sort of um, you know, it's, you could criticize a lot of what they do, but one thing that they that they decided early on, which I think is correct, is that mm. they decided that their focus is going to be on the author. Yeah. Um, you know, just they are the 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 entire point of uh, of Unbound is to find authors with social capital. Yeah. Mm. Um, and help those authors convert that social capital into actual capital. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's basically fundamentally that is the only only reason for that for that company's existence right mm. uh, and you know, they did sort of, so from that perspective it actually makes sense that um they're not going to invest in ebooks because they're focused entirely on creating collectible goods that yeah. are an easy way
1: to it, um there's a translation from that weird relationship with someone with social capital into yeah, something yeah. That you own. yeah so mm.
0: and uh, which sort of means that it's kind of uh, sort of Part of the reason why these plates was amicable in that I can uh, in, in that strategically it was the uh, it was the right thing for them to uh, yeah. for them mm-hmm. to do to cut down on their co- uh, on their costs in ebooks because it just didn't it didn't fit that well with their strategy and that mm-hmm. is kind of what, uh, what, uh, what I was uh, uh, sort of leading up to mm-hmm. in that they they're for as uh, using them as an example because I'm familiar with them in that the, all of their in, in, in investment is in. In basically, a relationship management infrastructure hmm. um, between the uh, author and his community, the, yep. his his social yes.
1: capital. So building that and managing that,
0: uh, and, build, and yeah. you know, so they're building websites, they're building building tools, uh, tools hmm. for that. They're, they're uh, 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 and that's the infrastructure that they've decided to focus focus on, and they're, uh, uh, and they're they're using that using open source tools, and their work uh, feeds back into those open source uh, the open source projects, so. If, if, if they were behaving like a traditional publisher, hmm. uh, and I mean, it, sort of, if an unbound fails, it will not be, be because that they, you know, that they chose the wrong strategy. It will be, you know, the same reason why all startups fail. It's either because they ran out of money or or did or made some mistake in execution. Sure. And um, so, it's, it's sort of, and you know, that's completely beyond the scope uh, scope of um, because that's impossible to predict. Um, but. Most p- p- publishers, how, uh, when they, uh, they're in their online work, they have not made this decision. They have not decided on what the strategy, uh, strategy can be. They, they, have not, they do not have the clarity to be able to decide whether they're going to focus on building their, um, in, uh, building their um, author relationship infrastructure or their websites, uh, whether, for example, their web, website work or their production tools will be focused on working with the author mm. or whether they'll be f- focused on building and collecting an audience. Um, and it's like, uh, uh, sort of, what uh, are the large traditional publishers? Uh, if you take two, uh, uh, if I assume that, you uh, two people uh, got a carte blanche to—is um, that how it's pronounced? Carte blanche. Um, yeah, learning words from uh, reading books, you never know how to pronounce them uh, i had two traditional publishers um two large ones with a large back catalog mm-hmm. uh and one um, uh, one decided to focus on uh, on the author and that they have a massive reach of distribution they can if they think a book has traction they can they can get it into supermarkets they can get it into all copies so they they decided that their focus is on finding authors with, uh, 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 you know, that were a, a bit like Unbound, but at a larger scale, finding mm-hmm. authors with social capital uh, and focusing on turning that into money. That, yeah. but, but they, uh, And in a way, there are some of them already there because uh, especially if you're focusing on doing celebrity biographies and YouTube, YouTube things, but uh, what, uh, what you would do in digital is that you built an infrastructure around that. You built an infrastructure, a digital one, about maintaining and building a relationship with those authors and allowing them to on an ongoing basis sometimes even do self-serve projects mm-hmm. that they could do uh, do to you uh, use your infrastructure without uh, without your hand holding
1: so it's an evolution okay just to, to go so that again. would
0: be one model the other model would be that you could for example um uh, the other publisher could start uh, a Netflix-style subscription effort yep. that's built entirely around collecting an absolute shitload of, of readers in one place and getting them to pay your regular subscription fee. Yeah. Once you get that subs- uh, subscription fee and uh, that audience, you can start uh, adding tools for that, to let the audience interact with each other. You can uh, add tools that they value. And you can use a fixed amount of money, a cut... Mm. from that that subscription revenue to do new projects and new new interesting things and you build your infrastructure um, in such a way that feeds out from there.
1: But both Mm. those things need, okay, just to kind of cut through this and um, not to cut through this but just to to simplify it, both those things need a certain social capital on the part of the author. The author is engaged with its audience and I guess, sorry, while you've been talking I've been scribbling notes and looking at things online. Um, but those t- the way you describe those two things, both for me, call back to Craig Mod's um, essay, yeah. Post Artifact Publishing. Absolutely. In terms of, <laughs> no, absolutely. And and, and you know, we, we we talked about Craig before, and he's in the book as someone, and I've said it before, one of the people who's most read and least understood in terms, in, in terms of actually what <laughs> yep. that means. People quote him, people are happy to quote him, but actually the, the real work in translating those not abstract ideas into a change in the way you do business mm-hmm. is really difficult and really hard publishers to do but what you're describing here are for me two ways of looking at this is this, this this kind of change relationship with an author and audience space one is okay this is a messy this is a messy metaphor a kind of evolution of the 1920s studio system yeah where you lock an author into a certain space but you but it seems to be, to be an evolution because you're not whereas the studio system locked in, locked writers in and Barton thinks is yeah. a beautiful <laughs> example of how that works you locked writers into a certain space and didn't let them leave until they've written for you this invites authors in because the infrastructure you're offering them the way in which that describes is attractive yeah. it's interesting enough that an author will come back they might go and work with somebody else they might do other things around the side but what you're giving them in a kind of unbound-like model but an mm. expanded unbound-like model is is something they can't build themselves the infrastructure it, becomes a Value proposition for the author completely yes, that you that they see that they see that kind of publisher as as enabling something that will make them more money down the line. Yeah. And it, you know, without some massive paradigm change in the way publishers see authors in terms of the payment, that that's still going to be a difficult thing for an author to navigate. And that's again something I saw being written in terms of reviews and reviews, but commentary around editions at play was that writers looking at this, looking at digital and going, it's really complicated, it's really good. I don't... And I, no, I, yeah. we've encountered that an awful lot. I don't know where to start and actually one of the jobs of developers and of people who have to have technical ability and creative ability in this space is to demystify it, is to make it mm. simple and to make it straightforward and it's why Twine is still valuable. It's why what Failbetter are doing is valuable. The other side is essentially a Patreon for writers. Yeah. For, but for writers and publishers where the subscription model... And this is where um in terms of you know previous attempts at looking at subscription appear to be about, you know, you subscribe and you get access to all of our catalogue. Yeah. This appears to be more subscribe and you get access to the value and the value is the writer.
0: Well you know, somebody described writer's um, output. Um, mm. I follow a lot of comic creators online. Um mainly because they tend to be a lot I follow but comic creators and writers mainly because peop you know, people professionals in, in publishing mm. and digital media tend to be not funny and and you know, not fun to follow. Sure. While, you know, writers and comics people and and creative yeah. people, they tend to be funny and they, they yeah. tend to post pretty pictures and humorous tweets and, they do. and mm. have ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, no offense to the serious minded, um, you know, working people of the world um you this funny, is what yeah. writer, this yeah. is what writers and and uh, writers and creators do they make yeah. fun media and that's the reason why they get followed but one of the well, one of the uh, a lot of them obviously are using patreon to mm. um as a sort of baseline it doesn't actually sort of it doesn't pay anybody's rent really
1: only for the big ones so the big ones um, yeah but well. so it doesn't really pay
0: anybody's rent for or, or for the median but oh. if you're a comics creator having something like three hundred dollars a month mm. as a you know, steady fixed revenue. Yeah. That is a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Um, and one of them actually desc- uh, described it in the way that I found really interesting. In that she, this is um, um, uh, the um, creative behind, um, I can only remember the uh, the comic that she did first, which is Dar. Um, she's do, doing the sex education comic now, which, and it just, mine, mine just gone black. I mean, I've literally right. been reading for, since, you know, we're nearing decade uh, over a decade, right? Um, and uh, she so talked about that. Uh, patching was basically um, live journal, but with subscription money. Yeah, because it's it, it, you're getting a li- the the same sort of live journal connection with the author. Mm. Yeah, you know, because uh, because it's private, and 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 they uh, the, the posts are only uh, are only visible to subscribers. Yeah. They tend to be more open. They tend to they tend to do the same sort of. Expose, expose themselves in the same way yep. uh, and I mean burying their souls not exposing themselves, no, expose no. themselves yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in the same way that they uh, that you used to do on private live journals in private yep. live journal communities uh, and it's a it's it's it, a patron is it, so it's sort of the interesting thing about a patron is that it's disconnected from the actual media production mm. and it's more about um, sort of valuing a a connection with the author yeah. uh, or the creator, and that is an interesting model because I, I, I'm really interested in 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 how digital digital media has come up with a variety of ways that disconnect uh, the business model from the production model. Yeah, because that opens up a massive amount of freedom in the in the production model, as in hmm. um, if 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 your, you know, comic book is 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 funded through Patreon and Kickstarter, mm-hmm. how you actually end up doing it is t- tends to be you tend to have a lot of scope, a lot more scope of freedom of how you implement to do things, uh, do, uh, do it, uh, do it in that context than you would if you you're creating it for a specific retailer, or, yeah. or like if you were creating it to work with the Kindle or to work in the App Store. Um, but once you disconnect the revenue or revenue model or business model from the production model, that means you can actually start using the web, and you can start using more the cr- more creative. Oddball properties of the web that you might not um, get elsewhere, and it sort of ties back into both um, uh, Google's uh, Google's uh, editions at play because that they're, they're uh, they decided they to basically bolt on the retail business model onto web-based books, yeah. mm. where up until now we've uh, the, our only opportunity for doing that has been dis- a disconnected business model, be yeah. Patreon and, and Kickstarters or public funding. Um, or you know, in, in subscription actually does work. Mm. Um, but as, as I've mentioned before, um, it it's it has it, it's a subscription business model work in that they work when you're actually solving somebody's problem, as in you're doing business writing or business intelligence or, um, well, uh, or, you're, or or training or
1: or uh, sort of or professional edu- education. But, but more fundamentally, I think what you're saying is the subscription model works when you're not when you're not subscribing to get a steady stream of product when you're, you're subscribing for some sense of added value of, yeah. a, of, a, of a thing that you that specific goal to accomplish yeah absolutely that, that, that you value over the equivalent of getting three books on Audible for mm. per, per month or whatever, whatever those models might be we're saying there is something richer something more interesting here and I might still go out and buy the product later on because that will still cost me but I've had access to that inner circle which is mm. exactly sorry it's off on my screen now it's exactly what Craig describes in post-artifact publishing in that kind of pre-artifact system has yep. a sense of the readers and if anyone looks to look at this craigemod.com forward slash journal forward slash post underscore artifact um there is a diagram half, halfway down the, the essay that describes the readers being situated not at the end of the process but at the part at the start of the process yeah and every time I've, I've given a talk that references this you get kind of worried looks from people about you know does that mean you're changing the process does that mean you're changing the product no it means you're inviting them into a space yeah and you're inviting some kind of shared creativity or shared involvement there but, th- but that is that that
0: that, and that changes that changes
1: the process. It it changes the process but it doesn't it needn't the, sorry, the, the, the I guess the problem I get is I, I give this talk to artists a lot <laughs> and, and they get worried about it because they're going oh yeah. No, yeah, yeah. no, it's 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 about it's about the engagement and it's something that we, we had sorry, the, the the program, the course I teach on um, last year, a year and a half ago, James Wheel, who is a very, very smart man, um, who was working at that point, he's now doing stuff with food and technology, which we'll talk about at a different point, was working at that point uh, for Slingshot, yeah, who did two point eight hours later, and who were very, very sadly missed in this space. But James gave a talk to our students about how do you how do you really engage with social media, and this was the third year graduating students and second years and first years, and the thing he talked about there was was almost slingshot strategy in the early days of really engaging with what he called their superfans, yeah, 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 with kind of differentiating on from having 5,000 followers on Facebook to the 50 people who would ongoingly support you and engage with that and one of the things that they didn't do or they didn't describe me doing was engage in any kind of subscription model you know they, they, they used them and he was really interesting in the way they would defend decisions that the company had to take they would defend things that were done they would be your advocates Yeah, but I think it's a small step from that crowd of 50 or 100 people who have redirect followers to monetizing them sounds dirty but actually making them part of your career going forward making them part of your mm. business model going forward and seeing what that can do and that for me is the benefit of patreon and as you say patreon is not patreon for a publisher patreon for a, a writer a creator is not necessarily going to solve every problem it's not going to give you an income unless you are amanda palmer god bless her <laughs> Um, but what it would do, would do if you know three hundred three hundred dollars 300 quid a month over a year would enable you to publish it would pay your costs oh yeah you'd still be doing everything else you'd still be the person developing and working and, and in your own time and we're it's one of the things that we're looking at or we've looked at in the last few months in terms of the work we've done with writers of how do you get to the point where you can cover your costs where you can yeah. your production costs because the, it's an the, ongoing
0: costs that are killer.
1: It's yeah, absolutely it's the, ongo- it's the ongoing costs. And that's that that blip where you want to publish or the blip where you want a limited edition of two hundred making that you say, oh, Well, how the hell are we going to do this? Because you've got to trust that you'll get the money back later on. Yeah. But it's having that steady income, that kind of what what we would have previously called kind of bread and butter money or bread and butter income from another source. Mm. But saying, you know, why can't we why can't we shift the model in some way so that this comes from an audience. This comes from an audience who are willing to be involved, who want to be involved, and who will then get some benefit from it downstream. Yeah. And so we're not doing other stuff just to support it. That stuff is what pays the rent, pays the mortgage. Yeah. But this feels like a, a model that is creative in some way. Mm.
0: But, but there's also the thing about, um, and it ties in with the sort of infrastructure building approach in that. The uh, the good thing about Patreon versus uh, uh, sort of the reason why Patreon and Kickstarter are are complementary rather than Mm. in competition is that Patreon is something you can only build up. So if you have if you you start off with ten dollars a month, Mm. and the thing is, it's if you keep on uh, keep on working and have and have you know. Intolerable and insane grit, as artists unfortunately yeah. tend to have. The, the ones that are, are that last, because of, you know, no sane person actually ends up in that. Um, uh, you build up from there, and it, if uh, especially if you manage to reach a level where you you're covering your costs, and that means you have no reason not to continue, mm. then the patron revenue is only going to increase in the long term. Yeah, and in theory, if you last long enough and do interesting enough work you will re- uh, reach a point where the patron is actually enough to be sustained uh, yes. s- sustain it on its own
1: you have and to- everything else becomes a bonus sure you yeah, have but the fundamental thing about that is you have to this is this comes back to this comes back to day sim and Cerebus, um you have to yeah. you have to, de- to deliver on your promises yeah. if you say you're going to put something out monthly you have to put something out monthly if you say you're going to give those subscribers something that is um a content you have to do that and you're right the 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 benefit, if we're going to be kind of um, rosy and and, and beautifully rose-tinted about this, is that it builds, is that you get that sense of engagement. And that, that, you're right, that for me, in terms of a publishing model, feels like a significant step away from what we have at the moment into Mm. using digital space and using Mm. digital space to change the infrastructural system that you're working within and operating differently and saying, this is an experimental space, this is something that we can do here. And... And by supporting it, you are enabling that. And it seems that I think there are publishers... And there are certainly... Penguin Random House um, are doing interesting stuff with design with Penguin Press. But I'm not sure how well that's known in... I mean, this is a problem. This is back to imprints and a problem with imprints and names and branding within Mm a an audience sector, a kind of yeah. book-buying sector. I'm not sure how well that's, that work is known. It's known within the business and it's known yeah. within the industry that they do really cool stuff and it's really beautifully done. And that the people working on that kind of... I mean, it's not really an imprint, but it's a, as, as far as I understand it, it's, 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 I, I described it weirdly as, as Penguin, as PRH's Black Ops team. They appear to kind of fly in and do stuff and fly out again. <laughs> pick, which I, I'm over romanticizing I'm sure. But they produce... Um, any regular newsletter they have stuff in print that feels like it's a, it's a cultural shift within an organisation we, we, we value good design yeah. we value thinking about books we value thinking about the product and that feels like a thing that well first of all I've supported and I want to go on supporting because I like what they do and it's and that voice within publishing is rare enough yeah that that feels like a shift into this space that we're describing, that you change the infrastructure, you change something about that.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, the problem, if your entire organisation is built around the world, view, that print is great. Yeah. it no matter. It doesn't matter whether any of the other values your organisation has are compatible with digital, that one is going to always be a, Big roadblock in terms of transitioning your the, that organisation's skills and systems and values True. over to a digital um, sort of e- ecosystem, and just sort of from my experience in the past three years, just uh, the just g- going to book launches and and um, talking to people at London Book Fair and Frankfurt and sort of casually talking to people in publishing there's a huge amount of people in publishing that not only are completely uninterested in digital media, mm. they are actually disdainful, actively disdainful of digital media. And as long as... Mm. If, if the, the amount of times, if I had a pound for every uh, um, every time, somebody, uh, somebody who's at an, a, a sort of managerial level in mm. publishing responds to me describing my job with saying either something like oh i don't read ebooks mm. I never read ebooks or you know or lapsing into god forbid a, a rant about how ebooks are evil i'd probably be able to buy an iPad mini you know give or take <laughs> give or take uh, over the over the sort of past six years and as long as that as long as that perspective on digital media is not only accepted within the industry but it's actively in terms of if you look at the rhetoric of industry uh, industry publication, it's actively promoted as a valid worldview within the industry. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be able to migrate or shift your organisation to usefully leverage digital media in any constructive way until you uh, are not without just spinning off a completely isolated unit where you can basically protected it from these toxic uh, because uh, these are not toxic ideas within a print publisher within sure. a, because they're uh, uh, you know in print they are completely these are these are values that have they have no no practical bearing on how well you do a printed product mm-hmm. um, but once you, uh, they, uh, once you uh, switch uh, and digital into the mix they become toxic because they are a disincentive for the entire organisation to do things properly sure and so the uh, because
1: these, the paradigm is around yeah and just,
0: around. If, if you're trying to do digital projects where your organisation is littered with people who are actively or both actively and passively hostile to what you're doing, it's going to undermine every effort of, of, of what you do. The only way that going the publishing traditional publishers are going to have a long-term effect, a, a, a long-term effect on digital media, is if they uh, sort of protect and isolate their digital units from the influences of print. Uh, because what is good and valuable in print is mm. sometimes actively toxic for uh, di- for a digital organisation, and if they don't do this, uh, Amazon's just going to grow more bigger and bigger because Amazon has has laid out the Kindle very neatly in that they they don't actually have to do any any major investment in it; they just mm. have to keep it ticking. Ongoing investment into sort of making sure it sort of sort of works and yeah. and keep it ticking because um, they, uh, it's the it's the it's the they've got this classic asymmetric bet going on in that whenever. Anything wrong goes wrong in the publishing industry. They benefit. Yeah. If a publisher goes bust, the their authors will start self-publishing. Yeah. Um, if a bookstore has a wobble or goes bust, their customers will uh, will, will go to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the only thing they need to do is just not make any mistake. They don't actually have to make add new features. They don't have to make any substantial investment into the platform. They just have to sit there and wait and. Let things uh, uh, let things just accrue to them mm. and if publishers don't actually do something sensible and start uh, start building protecting their digital media effects and, and building a constructive ecosystem around it, Amazon will dominate the paid part of digital media the web will dominate the unpaid or ad supported or the business oriented part of digital media yeah. and apps will dominate the casual side of it and None of the companies involved will be will will come or have a have a business a sort of will have an ancestry that will can be can be traced back to publishing. No, and um, I'm, I'm actually fine with that. <laughs> it's not my problem. It's, sort of, it's like you know, it's not, suddenly it's sort not of, um, You know, it's uh, it's 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 still a problem entirely. I mean, it's sort of, and also, I mean, there's there's this valid. There's a valid argument to be made in that um you could just stick with us a, a, a slowly deflating print market over time and just become just stay st- just be the best print publisher you want because at the rate it's deflating there's going to be a decent market for it for decades to come you know yeah, it's not going to be a growth market obviously you know, but it's, it's yeah but it's it's it could still it's could still be a viable market in the uh, 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 in the long term and you can still do interesting things and that's a valid choice it's not something I'm interested in um, but you know I'm not interested in ballet either True. You know, that doesn't mean I want to disband ballet or ban it
1: okay well um, finishing with your thoughts on ballet and, and <laughs> seems to be as good a place to end this as, as any I yeah. think what I want to do when we come back um, when we come back, for anybody listening, next to this, one will be in a week's time. When we finally release um, number ten, we're number ten. Um, we'll be to kind of just pick up on that. How the perceptions of how you might, as an industry, how you might, as a business, separate out digital, think about digital differently, and think about it as not being part of your print business. Because I think that's worth spending an hour yeah. kind of unpicking, especially in light of what we talked about in terms of editions at play, in terms of Google, in terms of the space and Amazon, and how those things operate. So. I'm gonna say goodbye and you're gonna say
0: well, that thing that goodbye thing goodbye yes. as well okay
1: and we'll 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 see you next time Bye. indeed